Welcome to Boy Problems Podcast, hosted by three friends who were brought together by their heroin-addicted partners. We became each other's biggest support through some of life's toughest times. We're not licensed professionals, and nothing in this conversation is professional advice. But we hope our stories offer a glimpse into how these issues weave into our everyday lives. You're not alone. We can all get through it together. If you're listening, you probably know we met at a family support group and our bonds have grown stronger through sharing our stories and supporting each other. When we think about the thing that's helped us most, it's that. So we'd like to extend that community to you. If you're feeling like no one understands what you're dealing with, or you're looking for a community of like-minded individuals, consider joining us for our virtual support group. For details, visit recoveringto.com. We know what you're going through and we're here to help. We're Recovering Too. Hey, Boy Problems Nation, Alex here. I'm so bummed. I missed recording with today's lovely guest, Dr. Zoe Shaw. She's a therapist, life coach, author, mom, and so much more. Her passion is helping women redefine their super selves. Can't wait for you to listen and learn more about codependency, boundaries, and getting back in touch with your intuition. Hope you enjoy it. So today we are with Dr. Zoe Shaw, and Dr. Zoe, thanks so much for being with us. Um, your official title is a licensed psychotherapist and relationship expert, but as we were um, researching and have been following you on Instagram and things, you you do a lot. You have a podcast, you're a writer, you're a life coach, um, and so I think there's just a lot of interesting things that we can touch on today. And I'm so glad that you're here with us so that we can, can learn from you and, um, share that with our audience. So, um, I think that you probably would do a much better job of explaining maybe a little bit about what it is you do. So could you give us, some some background on your, your career path and what you're doing now? Sure. Thank you for having me. You guys are doing such necessary and amazing work. So I'm, I'm thrilled to be here today. Um, so a little bit about myself. So I've been doing this whole therapy thing for about 20 years now, and I started out on just traditional, you know, therapy, me on the chair and my clients on the couch. And I did that for about 15 years. And along the way, you know, I, well, I was a wife before and became a mom of now five kids. Um, I am kind of a thrill seeker and I love to uh, compete and, and move my body. Um, but I came to a place of almost burnout. I was doing a lot of, of things. Um, you know, I was in that difficult decade with your kids when you're kind of in the thick bit and I was homeschooling too. And, and I stopped my practice for a while. And then when I was ready to come back, I really, I was in a different space and I love the work that I do. And I always loved the work, but I really had a drive and a passion to reach more women, to uh, have kind of a bigger platform so that I wasn't just doing the one-on-one, but that I could help and work with, with um, more people. And so that's when I kind of started my journey of getting off the couch and getting on, you know, social and writing and um, speaking. 
And that's kind of brought me to where I am now with the podcast and advice column and the book and speaking and coaching and um, my courses. So yeah, it's, it's beautiful. It's definitely been a journey internally and externally. (laughs) Yeah. Um, What would you say is the biggest difference then between the therapy side of things and life coaching? Yeah. So therapy is sometimes often deep emotional work and it just requires a slightly different skill set, being very in tune to emotions, being very in tune to triggers, being very in tune to development of someone psychologically, right? Helping them to really understand how past influence is present and, and, and how they can make changes. And it's a lot of internal. Um, life coaching, you know, I always tell my, my the people that I coach that I can't like remove my therapy brain and, you know, chuck it out the door while we sit here and do life coach. So I'm always looking through really the entire world through that lens. But life coaching is more about structure. It's more about goals. It's more about um, learning about your own patterns um, to help you achieve usually a specific goal or a group of goals. Uh, And it's more forward looking and present looking. Um, So that's how I would kind of describe the two. Certainly there's places where they interweave. Um, And I've certainly gone in and out where I might be doing therapy with someone and we move into life coaching. Okay. So yeah, they're different. Uh, but I was going to ask that: Do people do therapy and life coaching? Do you graduate from one from one to the other, or that sometimes like a little bit of a mix? Yeah, it can be a mix depending on what's going on in your life and what you need. And I myself, I utilize both. You know, as a therapist, I have a therapist. I don't always have a therapist. He's usually the same person, but, you know, I go in and out of therapy, depending on what's going on in my life. And then I also hire coaches for different aspects of my business, um, mostly business, sometimes personal life, but mostly business. Yeah. Okay. Very cool. And so can you, so our audience, like we have a very high stigma of addiction. Uh, mm-hmm. A lot of us hide in the shadows, things like that. And so can you tell us kind of about the stigma of therapy? Because I have been in therapy since I was in second grade. So to me, therapy is like amazing. I couldn't imagine life without it. However, when I talk to people, they're like, you're crazy. Like what's wrong with you? So can you kind of speak to some of that stigma that's in your field? Yeah, it exists. And that's the very reason why I almost always find an opportunity to say, hey, I'm in therapy because I know that it can help normalize it. Um, And the reality is that therapy is useful for people in all places and seasons of their life in all places of health or dishealth. You know, it's, it kind of like it, it, it can rise to the level of wherever you are. You know, if you are a very healthy person, maybe because you've done a lot of work and you're coming into therapy, the issues that you're going to be working on are going to be very different than if you have a whole lot of dishealth and you're, you know, disordered and and dysfunctional. Um, but it does exist. And I see it with my clients. I'll have people who, you know, I used to work out of my home. I had a a practice in my home and I I've had some clients when I moved into an office setting, didn't want to go because they were embarrassed because then they would have to walk in the door. You know, when they came to my house, they could just look like a friend who's coming to my house. Um, but they didn't want to walk into a door where people would know, Oh, that's the therapist's office. Uh, so, you know, it unfortunately exists. I think the work of 
you know, advocates and, and people in mental health is to really destigmatize therapy. Um, because unfortunately, people walk around sick when they're not willing to get help. And, you know, in and, and the medical field, it, it's different and it's considered very different, but mental health is considered, um, you know, that there's some type of weakness if you need help. It's just yes. not true. Yeah, no. people don't hesitate to go to the doctor if they break their arm or have a physical ailment, but that right. emotional aspect, there's yeah. more to see. I do feel like there's a lot more conversation around mental health in general. Mm-hmm. People pushing that like mental, like emotional well-being. So do you feel like that is is helping to destigmatize the idea of therapy or I think it definitely is helping. There's just so much more, right, that we have to 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 do. And especially in underserved communities, especially, you know, in the African American and Latino community. it's even more stigmatized. And there's also this whole level of distrust. So, you know, this idea that we can't really trust somebody to talk to about any of our issues, or we don't really believe in the whole concept of, of mental, you know, disorders that maybe it's just people trying to further um, bring us down. So yes, I think that there has been a lot of, of movement in a positive way, and we still have a long way to go. Sure. That makes sense. Who would you say, like, are the, the typical clients that you attract that you work with in life coaching? Like what are the, the areas in their life that they are seeking help in? You know, a lot of people would think I only see women, but I actually do have a handful of men. And I always have, um, both as individual clients and then also as couples. So I mostly work with women, or I certainly mostly engage and speak to and write to women. Um, And I also see couples. I love working with couples. They're just so much fun. Um, But the, the people who come to me, generally, there's relationship issues, there's identity issues, there are boundary issues in relationships. Um, women, you know, are struggling with um, life transition issues. Um, but mainly what I like to say is women who struggle in that very difficult relationship with themselves. Mm. I saw, actually, I saw something on your website about, um, I'm going to probably butcher it, but the idea of when people are in difficult relationships, there's usually a difficult relationship with themselves as well. Like I almost think, 100%. Yeah. What was that you said? I said yes, almost 100%. Interesting. And so sometimes what happens if people like think okay, we need to go to couples relation uh couples counseling to work on our relationship, but you might get pushback from from your spouse and they don't want to go. Like do you encourage people just go go on your own still and like work on your yourself first. I think that's an area that we, we talk about a lot that that focus on you can still be well, even if your, your loved one isn't. Yes. So a hundred percent, I, 
I feel that it is necessary just because your spouse or your partner won't go to therapy. You need to, and sometimes even if you go to couples therapy, you still need individual therapy because when you are in a difficult relationship, when you are in a relationship with someone who has dishealth, right? You have to be very intentional about showing up and being healthy and responding in a healthy way because generally, you know, there's, there's some form of codependency that was likely in the relationship, whether you're still there, depending on how far you are in your journey or not, um, it is, you know, it could be determined, but you've got to be very intentional about keeping yourself in a state of interdependence and not codependence in the relationship. And if you're with someone who's in dishealth, they will, whether purposefully or subconsciously, always be trying to pull you back to that unhealthy state. Right. So you've got to really be intentional about that. And what would you say? Um, because the number one question that we are asked, at least in our family group, was, you know, you come in, you tell your story, and then the counselor would always say, Well, what are you doing for yourself? And it was always a blank stare. I had not for years thought about myself because I was always so concerned in making sure my husband was well. We were in a very codependent relationship. My emotions were his emotions. It was like, Hey, are you having a good day? I don't know. Let me check if he's having a good day type of thing. Um, and I still have those tendencies. And so what can you say to people who might be listening in the audience? Like, how can they get out of it? Or what are some of those baby steps that they can start taking or even realizing? I had no idea I was codependent. Mm -hmm. What are some of those things that you can kind of reflect on? That, that is such a good question. And it's really, really broad. And I feel like in many ways, that's the core of a lot of issues with women in difficult relationships, right? Is the need to fix it, the responsibility that they take for it. Um, the, that feeling of what you were talking about is how do we feel today? Right. Mm-hmm. And I think the very first thing is getting to a place where you're recognizing that you're in that space of being a sponge, that you are not a separate being emotionally because whatever reason, because you're choosing it. Why? Well, there's a whole history of why, you know, you're that way, but you need to recognize that you are doing that. And once you recognize it, one of the things that I like to help women um, practice is imagining themselves to be a warm hedge because who wants to go from being a sponge? It's almost impossible from being a sponge to having no boundaries, right? To now Mm -hmm. I'm going to put up what feels like a cold wall right? And that's really right. hard. And, and, and nobody wants you to be cold, but it's sometimes we feel like we have to swing this pendulum all the way here in order to be healthy. And the reality is, is that we don't, it, it sometimes takes more effort to go to the middle than to just chuck everything and go this way and completely disconnect. Right. But if you recognize that it's a journey and if you can start at imagining yourself, I'm a warm hedge, which means I'm safe for both myself and other people, right? But I am a hedge, which means there's a divider. The the part that doesn't make me cold and hard is that I can feel for somebody, but I don't have to feel what they're feeling. Mm -hmm. And getting into this space of, I can see that you're sad. I can see that you are 
may be depressed and that you are not functioning. And I can feel for you. I can maybe even give you some advice or I can provide something for you, but I am not going to feel what you're feeling because we are two separate beings. And my first suggestion is to just start thinking about that. I'm not even asking you to take any action. Just start imagining yourself that way. Just start thinking about it and you'll start to notice in all so many ways where you're sponging instead of being the warm hedge. That's so interesting. I have talked about codependency and tried to understand it for years. I've never heard it explained as a sponge. That's so interesting. Mm -hmm. I love that. Yeah, that. No, that was a good, like, and you can visualize the sponge and the hedge. Mm -hmm. and that's yeah. So you're a mom and you said you're a mom of five. How, mm -hmm. I'm a mom of two little ones and it's hard for me to even imagine like self-care now. So why is self-care so important? And this whole woman, superwoman thing, I love it. I'm here for it. And so can you just explain why it is so important and why you wrote a book about it and all of that? Well, I wrote a book about it for that very reason that, you know, I had been through that entire desert, you know, period of not being able to figure out how to care for myself, of taking care of everybody else and feeling like I, you know, my sacrifice in that way was what I was supposed to be doing as a woman and as a mother and really wearing that superwoman cape. Right. And the reason why the tagline currently I'm, I'm, I'm revamping my podcast, but you know, the, why the tagline is redefining your superwoman is because that crazy burden is just number one, impossible to live up to and way too much to bear. Right. So you've got to figure out how to redefine what that means for yourself. And so having gone through what I don't want other women to go through is, is that desert of not caring for yourself and tricking yourself into believing that somehow you're doing something good when you mm -hmm. cannot possibly show up in any healthy way for yourself or your people when you are completely depleted, right? So right. that's why I wrote the book is really to give anybody really, but of course my idea, my avatar is always that woman is to give her just a tiny, just a tiny paragraph, a tiny snippet of something she could do today that focuses on herself. Because like I said, we do want to make those tiny changes, trying to make these huge changes. With, oh, now I'm going to go to the gym and I'm going to go for an hour every day and I'm going to meditate and I'm going to, you know, do yoga. And I'm going to, it's a, you, you can't, you cannot sustain that. But when you start with just a tiny bit, and so I give one every single day, 366 days for leap year, what you will find is that if you give yourself that space, that space will expand naturally over time because you'll see the benefit of it and the benefit of it to not just yourself, but also the people that you care for. So that's what really was the impetus for me to write that book. And that book is titled A Year of Self-Care. Yes. A year of self-care daily practices and inspirations for caring for yourself daily. I think is the tagline. Yeah. You can find it anywhere. We'll definitely uh, link to it in our notes, but um, why is it, or why do you think that women especially are so hesitant to the self-care or where does that idea of, I don't deserve self-care or I have to be super woman. Where do you think that comes from? Well, there's a lot of places that I think it comes from. I can go all the way back to the beginning and then I can talk about what we use currently in our culture. You know, 
the women's movement, the women's rights movement and early feminism was a gift to us that we have to honor, I believe. Um, but with every change, with everything implemented in the world comes unintended consequences, right? Mm -hmm. You know, we created, you know, air travel and airplanes can now take a virus from one continent to the other in a space of hours when that could never have happened before, or at least it would have right. taken much more. Um, so, you know, it's not about throwing the baby out with the bathwater, but it's also being willing to look at some of the, the negative, you know, uh, the consequences that have happened as a result of the women's rights movement. And, you know, it goes back to that pendulum swing because when we came to a place of, yes, we should be able to do it all and have it all just like men, and we're going to do it. And, and then there's this burden that gets created of, well, you know, you've been given this gift and now you can do it. So you should be out doing it and you should be out doing it well. And then there's the whole dichotomy and, and some of the, you know, there, there's sometimes faith influences that come in. And then this whole idea of, you know, being a good enough mother or a good mother, because now you're doing this. So you don't want this work that you're doing to compromise you being a mother. So you better work double time. And there's a lot of blame. There's a lot of judgment. Um, and then there's the whole societal idea of what a mother is, right. Or what a woman is. She's nice. She's not mean and rude, you know, she's nurturing and she takes care of. And so, I, I mean, it's just, I think it's, it's in our history. And the reality is, is that we need to be able to accept that gift that yes, we can do it all. And we should, if we want to do it all, but we can't do it all at the same time. It's an absolute impossibility. We need to look mm -hmm. at our seasons. We need to look at where we are in our life and pick one or two priorities. And if we can do that over the course of a lifetime, we'll have done it all. But that burden is, is quite too much. But, you know, then there's a societal thing and why our culture and society is in such what it is. Who knows? I mean, there's so many reasons, but and one of my posts, I put something about self-care and selfishness. And I, I had a guy comment, yes, this is all selfish, right? A woman wanting to take care of herself. It's just her being a selfish person. But no one ever says that about a guy. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like it's somehow it's understood the guys need to have their man caves and they need to take care of themselves and they need to have their whatever. Um, but sometimes for some reason, there's sometimes this underlying idea that a woman wanting to have that time and space for herself is selfish. Yeah. That's true. Yeah. I will say that, um, just how my husband and I, how we have our family situation, he gets off work at two. So he cooks dinner. He does the grocery shopping. He does most of the cleaning in our home, things like that. And, you know, I feel very fortunate that that's just kind of how our workload works in our family. Mm -hmm. But when I tell other people, um, when I tell women, mostly they're like, oh my God, you know, I wish my husband would do that. And then when I tell men, they're always like, oh, what a baby, you know, blah, yeah. blah. And that just, it frustrates me so much to hear that. Cause it's like, that's how our family works. And he loves doing all that. He loves taking care of our family like that. And so to all of that, like it just, that's just so frustrating for me personally. Right. I can understand that, but that's beautiful. That's absolutely beautiful. Yeah. And so, um, as you've kind of, you know, gone through your practice of like, so do you still do therapy and life coaching with all your other? I do. Yes. Yeah. 
And so we do have people from across the country. So can you tell us a little bit, like, how can people, like, if they wanted to get in contact with you or wanted to, you know, seek your services, how could they do that? Well, you can always contact me. My favorite social place is Instagram. So you can contact me at, at Dr. Zoe Shaw. I am completely bu- bu- uh, full though. I cannot take on any more clients and which is why I write and which is why I have, you know, a course that you can, you can purchase. Um, but right now I'm really busy, which is wonderful. Um, but you can definitely connect with me. I love to hear from people um, on Insta, on my website, and you can subscribe, subscribe to my podcast and, you know, get some of my content, my email newsletter, and I send out encouragement. Yeah, that is the uh, beauty of technology. And I mean, there's a lot of negative things with social media as well. Mm-hmm. But, you know, being able to follow you and see the things you post and listen to your podcast, you can still get some of that wisdom and those ideas, um, even if you can't be a client of you. So it's, it's nice to be able to connect with a, a broader audience that way. Yes, that's, I, that's one of the beautiful gifts that social media and the internet have given us. So can you tell us about your column a little bit and like how people could follow maybe your column? Yeah. So I have an advice column. It's at um, the Grit and Grace Project, which is an online women's magazine. And um, you can just go to the Grit and Grace Project and find my advice column on there. And so there's a place on there for people. You can either just read questions and then advice that I've given, or you can submit any question. It's completely free and it's also completely anonymous. You can submit a question to me and I answer a question every week. Nope. I think it's every week. It's me. It might be bi-weekly. They change the format sometimes. <laughs> you feel like the, um, the questions fall, is there a, a certain theme the questions follow or like what, what can people expect? You know, I think women really just feeling unsure about what I would perceive as something that they already have a deep knowing about and wanting Mm -hmm. some validation. Um, But most of the questions tend to be relationship issues, whether it's relationship with parents or children or spouse. And, you know, we women are relational people and our relationships are very important to us for good reason. We were were designed that way. Um, So I've noticed that most of the questions tend to be relational. Can you share any advice? So for someone who is in a codependent relationship mm-hmm. and maybe with a partner who has substance use disorder, can you share any advice of like how you can get through or just like any words of encouragement or anything that you've experienced in your practice that you have found helpful for, for those clients who might be in that kind of a relationship dynamic? Yeah, that's a really good question. You know, those kinds of relationships can feel so much like a roller coaster. And, you know, you'll have, you have those days of feeling like, okay, I've got this. I've, I've put in, I've applied these skills and things seem to be working well. And I feel like I'm really in a good place. And then sometimes the very next day, something happens and you can feel completely like a wave hit you and you are completely just upside down and lost. You know, I think my best advice to a woman out there listening who feels like, yeah, that's me, is that no decisions you make have to be permanent 
And sometimes we have this idea that we have to make a decision and be done with it once and for all. Um, and that it's okay to show up for yourself in that moment, exactly how you need to show up for yourself, even if it looks different than it did yesterday, looks different than you might need tomorrow. Um, but being able to really, all I can say is sink into yourself and your knowledge that you know what's best for you. And in those times when things are really difficult and chaotic in your relationship, that's where you have to go is really, is really inside and not seeking externally for the relationship to validate you or be fixed in order for you to feel okay. But really get into a space of, okay, this is a time when I need to, to go inside. That relationship is not going to support me in that, in that way right now. And, and that's okay because I've created and I have maintained and, and I have some reservoir to really care for myself. Well, that's, what's coming up for me right now. Um, so when you say like go within and like trust that, you know, what you need, feel like sometimes if you're really into the codependence or maybe when life is chaotic and mm -hmm. you betrayed or trusting, like it also comes with having a hard time, like trusting yourself or, or being able to like, know how can people like work on like just trusting themselves or getting in tune with themselves. If you've been so focused on other people for so long, you almost get kind of like out of touch with you? How do you get back in touch? Yeah, I'm so glad you asked that question because I do see that from um, women, a lot of women specifically in, you know, maybe emotional abusive relationships or um, relationships where there's addiction. I will have them come to me and, and, and also, you know, there's some gaslighting that's involved in those types of relationships, whether it's verbal gaslighting or just kind of situational, like we don't talk about it or whatever you're feeling is not right because this didn't happen. You're seeing something mm -hmm. that doesn't really exist. And you begin to get into this place of craziness and you do question yourself. You know, some things that I will say to women who come to me, because often it's like, there's something wrong with me. Can you help me feel like deal better with this relationship because I'm falling apart and he's telling me I'm crazy. He's telling me I'm the problem. Right. And what I will often say after I've gotten a good history and I really get a sense of what's going on is I will not, cannot help you be okay with an unhealthy situation. What mm. I can help you do is, is acknowledge what's there and work on you showing up in a healthier way but I can't help you kind of get more comfortable with your dysfunction, which is what you're asking me to do. So that's what just came up with me. There's something else I was going to say, because I didn't quite answer the question. What was the question again? Um, when you've spent so long, maybe being gaslighted or okay. crazy, how do you start trusting yourself? Yeah. So as a therapist, what I do is I, I validate really by modeling and I'm, I'm, I will explain to a woman how, what she's telling me makes me feel and what I hear. Right. Um, and all of a sudden what I see is I see like a sense of, 
oh, okay, so I'm not crazy. This is really going on. This is really what I'm seeing. This is really not okay. And Mm. that tells me she already knew she did. She was just so confused by the swirl around her in her relationship. Sometimes what helps, and this is really hard because it's hard to take yourself out of the situation. And it's very simple. And I'm sure people have heard it before, but when you, when you just have that practice of imagining, maybe even back to before you were in this situation, right? And if you were sitting down with a woman who was telling you all the things that are really going on in your life, what would your advice to her be? It just helps you take a couple steps out. And sometimes it's hard because you want to go right back into your own situation when, you, when you're asked that question. But mm-hmm. I'm asking you to really work hard to stay out of your situation. Listen to her as if she's telling you this story. It's your story. What would you say to her? Now, I'm not, not asking you to do the thing. I'm just asking you, what would you say? Just sit with that part a little bit. Because when you sit with it, then it helps you see it from a different point of view. When you feel like you have to take action, your brain doesn't want to go there because then it feels like it has to do something. But if you sit with it, then it helps you gain a little bit of clarity about what's going on and gives you some space, maybe later to make action, um, but also gives you some space of learning how to trust yourself. Another little thing that I suggest is that when you allow yourself to make a decision when you're feeling insecure about it, when you're not sure if you're right, when you don't trust yourself. I like to ask women to track what they thought and then the decision they made. Even if they're really little decisions, like on the menu, right? If you go to the restaurant, it's like, I don't know what to order. I never can make a good decision. I don't trust myself. I'll order something that I hate. Well, write that down. What did you order and how did you feel afterwards? I want you to start taking, um, keeping track of your thoughts and your decisions and how they turned out because that will help you learn, okay, should I trust myself? Should I not trust myself? What areas do I know I'm always spot on? And what areas am I a little blurry and I need to work on? Mm -hmm. Um, So it's really starting to understand yourself well, because that's what we do with other people. We look at their behavior, right? And we determine if we can trust them based on their behavior. And we need to do that for ourselves too. And then if we can't, then those are areas where we need to work on, 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 really gaining trust and earning, figuring out how we can earn trust in those areas in our lives. So something that this, your uh, conversation brought up for me. So I was in such a deep kind of, I was blindsided by my husband's um, heroin addiction. And Mm. I came home one day and a a lot of things bad happened, but I saw, came home, he was passed out on the couch. There were two white lines on our TV tray And I was like, what's this? You know, he snorted them and he was like, well, it's it's Tylenol. You're crazy. Crushed up Tylenol gets to my headache faster. And I a hundred percent believed it. And so it, so to people, I want to stop you there though. Did you a hundred percent believe it? Okay. Well, (laughs) (laughs) I probably didn't a hundred percent believe it, but I didn't want to get in the fight. I always walked on eggshells. And so my husband always says like, you didn't want to believe I was telling you a lie. And so, you know, he's been my, I had been in a relationship with him for 10 years at this point. Mm -hmm. And I didn't want to believe that my husband who I chose was lying to me through his teeth about every aspect of his life. And so do you, 
do you have that same because but that's the thing dr zoe like i didn't tell anybody about it like it is so isolating and so to even come and tell you know my friends or even my i I had a therapist at that time and i was like my mom's dead she died when i was wrong and she was like there's something bigger but you're not telling me and i was like no i'm sad my mom's dead but mm-hmm. like, I just didn't want to recognize it. And so for the women out there who just don't want to recognize it, like I'm hearing intuition, like women's intuition, like coming from you. I don't know, like what would, like what is that advice for the women who are just like sitting alone and who are like, man, I mean, maybe we kind of have already talked about this, but like, to me, that's what hit me is he's snorting lines of heroin in front of me. And I'm like, eh, this feels a little weird, but I'm okay with it type of thing. You know, know what? Your brain is, is the, the most powerful computer in the world. And it computates so quickly. You can go straight from, you see those lines, right? And, and, in the table to, if I confront this, what are all the 10, 15, 20 things that could happen? Right. And then what does that mean for me, my family, my life, my future, you know, my present, whatever your brain goes way there so fast. And then it makes it split second decision, which is maybe it didn't happen. It goes straight to denial, right? Maybe that's not what it was. Maybe it's something else because the reality is it's not the thing. It's the meaning of all of it of now, if I admit, then I have to take action. And so I'm speaking to that woman who is listening to this podcast and she's listening to this podcast because there's a part of her that knows right? Mm -hmm. There's a part of her that's questioning. There's a part of knows something's not okay, but she's terrified. And I'm going to ask her to just look at what if, what if, what if that thing is what it is and why is she afraid to open up and investigate it? I'm just going to ask her to ask herself those questions because if she can just sit with that part for a few minutes, for a few weeks, for however long she needs to do it, she's going to get a little closer to being in a place where she can help herself. We're not asking her to take action. I just want her to go, what if, and why am I afraid? Like what's going on? What are the things that I'm scared of? Yeah. Like planting the seed. For herself. Yeah. That just gave me goosebumps. Had I heard that back in the day, amazing. That gave me goosebumps. Mm-hmm. Whew. Love that. Um, that also made me think of, reminded me of something I saw on your website that I appreciated the idea of where you're not there to judge people's behaviors for what they do. It's, you understand that behaviors happen. There's like context behind it. And yeah. so helping people to feel comfortable and sharing those things, like that's part of it. Like, you even said you didn't want to tell your counselor this. I think there's like shame and judgment. And when I read that part of like all behaviors make sense in certain contexts, I was like, yes, that is so relatable. Yeah. You know, that's the very first thing I say. Well, not the very first thing I should say. That's the thing I always say. in the very first session with my clients is that that is the lens through which I see the world. I believe it strongly that all behavior makes sense in its context. Mm -hmm. And because of that, it actually, I mean, it helps with so many things. It helps with acceptance. It helps with forgiveness. It helps you not to take 
uh, other people's behavior personally, right? It does help to separate you from other people's behavior. Um, but as a therapist also, I want them to understand that I have no judgment because for everybody, if I can go and look back from the second they were born and understand their temperament and how it interacted with their environment and was there for all the seconds and moments of their life up until this moment when they make maybe a horrible, horrible decision, it makes complete sense. Mm -hmm. Sometimes I think about, you know, when we enter someone's lives, I think about it as those movies that start out like with the guy in the three-piece suit robbing a bank, right? And, you know, he looks like, you know, you're trying to figure out what's going on. He looks like this horrible person. And then all of a sudden it goes back to the, you know, day one or, you know, something, and it takes you all the way up. None of that catastrophe, none of all that horrible, those horrible things he was doing made sense. But when you go back and then you watch the movie and then you get back to that point, it all makes sense right? Mm -hmm. And we're always entering people's lives in that, on those places. And we don't necessarily understand. And we take those things so personally. Um, but when I explain to a client that whatever in the world they think, feel, have done, all of it makes complete sense. And our job and our work is to really understand why, right? And if there's something you want to change, then we can understand how to change it. But it's never about judging it. It's just mm -hmm. about understanding the context. And so I hope that that gives, and clients tell me that that does give them freedom, you know, to talk about those things because they don't feel like I'm going, I'm going to judge them. It's still hard. It's always hard to share, you know, your, your stuff with uh, people. Um, but, you know, I, I, I really do believe in therapy. I, I believe that it is, it's such a, a good, healthy space for growth. And then until we're able to do that, and sometimes we aren't able to share all of our stuff for various reasons with those people that are the closest to us and having that outside person um, can provide us that space where we can start to unpack things that we've just held in closets for so long. Wow. Well, this has been really insightful and I, I feel like we could just keep going on and talking to you. I love like everything that you've had to share with us. Um, but I guess to wrap it up, um, we'll circle back to the self-care and Maybe give us an idea of like what's something you'll do this weekend to self-care, like as self-care or some examples of self-care. And then if there are any closing words of encouragement that you want to share for people, we'd love to hear. Sure. You know, I really see self-care as a 360 thing. It's not just about the bubble baths and the massages, which I love, love, love. Um, but those are kind of bad not band-aids, but they're just, they can be very surface, although we need them just like we need water and food. Um, but I like to see three self-care as 360. I like to, I, I, I like to understand self-care as really being a good mother to yourself. And, you know, a good mother doesn't always give you what you want in the moment, but she's taking good care of you. She'll make you brush your teeth and she's going to, you know, make sure you get your vegetables and she's going to, you know, have you do your homework, but she's also going to hug you. And she's going to, you know, provide nurturing and care to you and make you feel safe. Um, so when I think of self-care, I think of it in that way. So, I mean, my typical weekend, this weekend's going to be a good weekend because we've had really crazy weekends <laughs> um, where I haven't been able to get a whole lot of self-care, but I'm looking forward to this one. Although Mother's Day was amazing. My kids cared for me and, and the sweet way that they, that they do. Um, 
I, I, for me, it's physical. So it's getting outside into nature, which I will do mm -hmm. for at least, you know, a half hour every morning and walking and or running. Usually I run on Saturdays. Yoga for me is very self-caring, mainly because it, it's, it's really good for my joints and my flexibility. And I'm able to just relax and go inside. Um, I will be writing, which I always do. Um, and that's really going to be, those are probably going to be the main things. Now then I'll be caring for my house, but that's really external. But in caring for my house, I care for myself too. My space is really important to me, especially my bedroom. So I'm going to be doing some decluttering. Um, but yeah, that's what, that's what some of my self-care looks like. And then I have self-care. I I'm really intentional about it. So even things that come down to like the tea I'm going to drink this weekend because my chamomile, you know, and lavender tea just makes me feel so good. And so I always make sure that I get at least a cup, you know, in because I know how it's going to make me feel and that it just grounds me and just brings me uh, just to that place of kind of peace. So that's kind of what mine looks like. Awesome. Um, I'm going to shift my mind on cleaning. I was kind of thinking about, oh, I need to clean my house this weekend and not looking forward to it. But I liked the way that you said, like taking care of your house is in turn, like taking care of yourself because you know, you yeah. feel better when you're in a clean space and decluttered. So I'm going to try and think of it in that lens. Yeah. It goes better. It does feel better, doesn't it? Mm -hmm. And then it sit does. with it afterwards. I'm like, oh, I'm doing self-care right now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, amazing. Dr. Zoe, thank you so, so much for talking to us today and sharing with our audience. Uh, everyone, we will link in the show notes um, everything that Dr. Zoe has to offer uh, and keep coming back. Thanks for tuning in to Boy Problems Podcast. If you enjoyed today's discussion, be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to this episode. Find us on social media, and if you have questions or ideas for topics, email us at hello at boyproblemspod.com.